Great. Thank you. Thanks for letting us be here. Um, who was it transformed? Who heard me speaking in the transform? Okay, not too many. That's good because someone's going to be a repeat. But, you know, it's good to get things twice. But um, um, Steve came into London and we had a nice meal. And uh, we wandered down the road and we went into John Wesley's house. Um, and the Methodist Museum there, and we were walking around, and we got to stand in the, well, the room where he died, which is a bit morbid, but quite powerful to be there, in, in a place where a man had such a massive impact, and to go in his little prayer closet. It was quite, it was quite special. And as we talked that day, um, Steve was bragging about you all, and about how amazing you are at being missional and so engaged as a church in different kinds of um, outreach and really impacting uh, the community around and um, in so many different ways interfacing the wider culture. And we were talking about this thing of salvation and people getting saved. And, and Steve was just sharing how he felt that everything was in place for an extraordinary harvest, and um, and I got excited about that because I want to see that. And so there, as we saw Wesley's house and what a harvester he was, and it, you know, it all began in Oxford. You know, the greatest, perhaps the greatest revival yet, because there's going to be lots more revivals. Um, it all started in Oxford, you know changed the world and um so it's good to be here and um i just was have been praying into what i might share along these lines of harvest and how do people get saved and what is evangelism really and so i'll share some of that and if you did hear me then well you know just smile and pretend like it's the first time you heard me say um but evangelism real evangelism is an overflow of worship. It's not some nasty thing like revision for exams that you wish you... You, ne- you always feel guilty that you're not doing enough and you never really quite know what you've done is good enough and, uh, you know, you'd rather be at the dentist or something, you know, than have to do evangelism. Or oh, It's not supposed to be like that. True evangelism is... Worship, it's loving God by loving people towards God. And that's really the heart of it. And um, it's actually not that difficult or complex or hard. It's actually as simple as introducing two people. You introduce your friend Pete to your friend Jesus and you make the introduction. It's not that hard, is it? I can in, I, look, let me illustrate it. Let me illustrate it. Okay, I need, I need a volunteer. So, oh, go on then. Um, oh, go on then. Yeah, I saw you first. Come on then. Okay, and now I need someone you don't know. Who doesn't know this, this man? Does everyone know him? Okay, you have to pretend that you don't know him. I might pick someone at random. I think it has to be a lady this time. 
just, oh, go on, you'll do. Look, I saw you smile. Come on. Yeah, yeah, come on. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah, well, you beat me to okay. Come on then. Yeah, yeah. I, I was pointing at her. But go on, yeah, you sit down. Come on, she, come on. Come on, we've got to move. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. We've got to move on quickly, otherwise I'm going to be out of time. Yeah. So look, I'm just making an illustration. Two, introducing two people who don't know each other. You probably do, don't you, do you? Okay, pretend like you don't. Uh, what's your name? Yulia. Y- Yulia. Yulia, that's a pretty name. Yulia. I'm Kosi. Kosi. Yes. So, in, so evangelism, introducing your friend Yulia and your friend Kosi. So... Um, Kosi meet you, yeah? <laughs> and just, you just pretend. They don't know each other. Um, Yulia, this is Kosi. Go on, shake hands. You need to shake hands. So what do you do? <laughs> so it's not that hard, is it? People who've never met the real Jesus, you get to make the introduction. It's not that hard, is it? So Yulia, now, repeat after me. I, Yulia. Take you, Kosi. <laughs> oh, keep going, keep going. <laughs> to be my lawfully wedded. Okay, all right, we'll stop, we'll stop. It's, we are in a church, we could get into trouble. Just teasing. How absurd to think that two people who've never met each other are ready to make a life covenant in their first encounter. So why do we only measure success in evangelism with the vows part? Two people who've never met each other, it's just weird to think that they could get married. Evangelism is about making the introduction. And everyone can do that because people have never met him. They've got all kinds of ideas and preconceptions and thoughts about who Jesus might be or who God is. But you actually know him. He's your friend. And you get to introduce them to the genuine Jesus. And if they don't, if they're not ready for the Marriage, it doesn't mean it wasn't valuable. I'll show it to you another way. I could grab two people to help, but then no one's going to want to help me now, are they? But I'm just going to give you a little visual gag. Okay, actually, you know, we can stick it. Do you mind? It's masking tape. It'll come off. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Don't tear... I'm going to stick it on this. Oh, there we are. Yeah, that's all right, isn't it? Lovely. This is a continuum. This is a process we'll call discipleship. And over here, oh, let's start here. Over here we have, you know, I don't know, Mother Teresa or someone. You know, the most saintly person, the closest person to God you've ever met, someone like Steve Jones, you know, just very godly person here, loving God. And over here, you know, we've got, 
This, and that's, this is funny when you use people to hold the tape, because you say, over here we have Adolf Hitler. And the, the most far, far away from God person that you could possibly imagine, right? The most godless, atheist, militant, angry atheist. There's a few of those in Oxford too, I <laughs> um, you've ever met. Now, everyone you ever meet is somewhere on this line. Right? And in my experience, you very rarely meet people here. In fact, I'm not sure in all the years I've been doing this that I've ever really met. As J. John says, God doesn't believe in atheists. (laughs) People say, oh, I'm an atheist. And you have a 30-second conversation, and it turns out they're a good old agnostic, really. I'm going to have a bit of water here. So everyone you meet is somewhere on this journey. Now, evangelism is about moving people in this direction. And if you move them, it's success. So this message is how to have 100% success in evangelism. Don't you love doing things when success is guaranteed? I like it. So here we have in the middle uh, the cross. This is the moment when someone is born again. They they become a Christian. Actually, that's not the middle, is it? It doesn't matter. Because there is a moment. We don't disciple goats into sheep, actually. The goat needs a new nature. And this is that moment. There is a moment, and I'm going to talk about that some more in a bit. But if you meet jolly old, you know, Adolf... And you're doing evangelism. I don't even really... I'm not very good at that. I don't know. Tangent. Doesn't matter. You meet jolly old Adolf. And you come with your silly evangelism agenda. And you got to get them saved. It's the marriage vows... Then, they, then probably they won't, and probably they'll be moving in this direction, right? But what if, now Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. In the moment you meet someone, they're here, let's say. What if the Father, in this moment, bringing you into their life for this moment, wants to move them here? Evangelism is partnership with the Holy Spirit to move people. And if you force it, I'm going to get them saved, then you're actually putting an agenda on the thing when actually um, he wants to move them here. At some point, we have to believe in the sovereignty of God. God who is big enough that tomorrow you move them here He brings someone else who moves them here. And next week, someone else who moves them here. And God's working in people's lives. 
I hope that takes the pressure off. Or what about meeting, you know, a Christian that's discouraged and, frustrated and having a hard time and you're, what, you'll find out they're a Christian and you walk away because they don't, they're not, they're not, you know, you can't do evangelism on them. They're already Christians. What if you're, what if the father wants them to move this way and you can encourage them and pray for them and you get the point. Not very complicated stuff. We need to change our measures of success. If we have a measure of success of how many people got saved, how many people prayed a prayer, or how many people, whatever it is, um, then we only measure success in that way. Then, uh, well, I just think that's only the time, it's only the icing on the cake. If we measure success by, was I obedient? Because that's how God measures success. God measures success by our obedience. In this moment, was I obedient to the Holy Spirit? And by partnering with him, I move this person. That's success. And God's big enough to keep moving them. I hope that's helpful. It's blimmin' obvious, but apparently not so much. Because I've been around I've been around this kind of evangelism before. Have you ever tried yeah, it's hard work and not much fun. And I don't think either party's enjoying it. You've done that kind of evangelism before. Yes, you have. You're just sitting there quietly. Okay, so what sorts of things move people? Let's just make it really practical. Help me out here. How do you move people? Yeah, yeah, love. That's the motive. That's that overflow of worship. Yeah, serving. A sandwich, a school. Uh, Whatever. I mean, you're the missional ones, right? You've got all kinds of ways. Yeah, conversation. Someone to listen to him. What about that? And what about our lonely social media world that we live in that we've been, we've been talking about in the last couple of days? People are lonely. We're at a real conversation, not just LOL-like change the world with a real conversation it moves people yeah prayer moves people doesn't it and answers to prayer move people like crazy we know you're a teacher who's come from God no one could perform the miracles you do if God wasn't with them John 3 there's why did Nicodemus come at night miracles I mean we have the power we have the omnipotent power of God in us by the Spirit. Let's believe for miracles. It makes a difference. Man, it moves people. Someone, ow. Oh, what's the matter? Oh, bad back pain. Hey, can I just pray for you? I pray for some people sometimes. God heals them. Just stop. Don't wait for them to give you permission. Just start. God, just heal them. 
He'll live back. Hey, just go ahead and move that. Whoa, weird. Sometimes they use ruder words than that. It's fine. I love it when you're, doing, you're talking to people, you pray for them, and then they swear because they're just so, so weird that something's happened, you know. You just moved them. So, you know, it's uh, the gifts of the Spirit, the prophecy, that prophetic word. You just, you just, wow, that, how did you possibly know that? You pray for them, they get healed, it moves them, it, the supernatural, these encounters, these experiences, and then just, just basically being a decent person to someone. It all moves. It's all good. You can all do that. And it's all good stuff. It's all valuable. It's all important. This is your missional emphasis. Right. Now, what I want you to do is hold now intention, all the stuff I just said, with what I'm about to say. I believe there are millions of people who are right here. There aren't very many Adolf Hitlers out there that you'll walk into. Thankfully. I believe with all my heart that people, that there's like a, if you like, the, you, you engineers, the bell curve right? There's the majority of people and they are one conversation, one encounter with Jesus, one introduction to the genuine Jesus, one connection from the kingdom. I believe that with all my heart. My friend Billy just posted about the guys from Reading, uh, from Yinka's place, going down there to Southampton and training a bunch of their team. And, and Billy just writing in the most funny, sort of slightly bemused, this is weird way, but, but very honestly, giving an account of 520 people in 10 days praying to ask Jesus into their heart on the streets of Southampton. That's amazing. Last week we were just with Phil Norris in Basingstoke. One of, the word, one of the team has a word of knowledge about a builder. They're going to run into a builder and a picture of a British bulldog. And when they got there, there was a shop on the high street in Basingstoke with the poster of a British bulldog. And sure enough, a man walking like, looking like he'd just come from a building site, walking out of the shop, and they said, Are you a builder? Yes. I've God just, you know, I don't know how, they, how the conversation went, something along the lines of God showed us we would run into you and uh, we wondered if we could pray for you. And the man said, well, sure, yeah. And they ministered to him for a while and then he said, stop, st- you know, stop talking for a moment. Which church do you go to? Oh, you know, explained where it was. Oh, I'll, I'll come tomorrow. Can I bring my kids? Sure, yeah. Sure enough, the next day, the Sunday, there he is with his family and he at the end of the service, he walked forward and gave his life to Christ. And being discipled uh, that Tuesday, going out for a coffee with the leader of the church. There's a harvest. And I think there are seasons when there's 
God, the harvest is ripe. Jesus said it. And I think we're living in one of those times. So the question is, how does this happen? I want to take the rest of the time to talk about this part of the journey. The Bible has all kinds of language for this, right? Jesus said in John 3, in that same conversation, you must be born again. There are two kinds of people in the world. The once born and the twice born. And our joy is being midwives of this new birth. And there's nothing like it. I love it. The Bible has all kinds of language, doesn't it? Out of darkness into his glorious light. Um, what are some of the other ones? Uh, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Seeing and entering the kingdom. The Bible has all kinds of language, but I want to think about one particular place in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit is now work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, even when we were dead. We have a resurrection ministry. We live in a graveyard of spiritually dead people. There we are going to work at my workplace, commuting on the train, people are alive, very much living, breathing, walking, talking, buying Christmas presents, alive, spiritually, they're dead. And we have a resurrection ministry. We get to raise the dead. So the question is, how, does, how did Jesus raise the dead? Yes. Yes. In the Bible, all the resurrection miracles are share this um, this thing. Jesus' resurrection miracles, and then those of uh, Saint Peter and Saint Paul. Do you remember in John chapter 11, there's Jesus, he's outside the tomb, Lazarus has been dead for four days, and in front of the whole village, I love the story, he, he calls out, Lazarus, come out. And the word affected the reality, the word enabled 
the obedience. When God speaks, he creates. Let there be light, and there was light. And when Jesus, standing outside the tomb, or standing by Jairus' daughter's bed, or... Uh, well, it doesn't matter. All of them, look them up. There's a call. Little girl, get up, or Lazarus, come forth. And through the word, through the call... The spirit of resurrection is released to affect the reality that is being commanded. And so here in this context, we have a spiritual resurrection for spiritually dead people to be raised to life. And the gospel is our Lazarus come forth. The word of the gospel carries or releases the ability to obey the gospel. The word affects the reality of faith. I just need to unpack this for you a little bit. Romans 10 has it clearly. Remember Romans 10, uh, verse 17. Faith, remember we're saved by faith. We're saved by believing the gospel. Right? Faith comes from hearing the message And the message is heard through the word of Christ. That's how my Bible translates it. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word, rhema. So the message is preached. But the message carries that Holy Spirit breathed word. That causes faith to happen. Faith comes, faith is released through the word. And the context here in Romans 10 is all about preaching the gospel. Um, How can they call on one they've never believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent, as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's the context there. Am I making sense? When... God taught me this, it changed my life. Because I always thought an evangelist was someone who was just unusually good at convincing people. Who had this uncanny knack of persuasion. 
And even though I had all kinds of prophetic words about evangelism and in my own heart before God, longed to see souls saved, I thought, well, I'm rubbish at it. I mean really bad at convincing people. And all the models of evangelism I ever saw were based on that premise, persuasion. So, conservative evangelical approach to evangelism was propositional argument and debate, propositional truths presented convincingly enough to persuade the person to say, yeah, okay, sign me up, I'm in. Right? But on the other side, and I did all the wacky charismatic evangelism too, but it's the same thing. If I can just prophesy accurately enough, if I can just heal them enough, it will convince them they have to believe. So whether it's evangelical, uh, conservative approach, or wacky, charismatic, supernatural evangelism approach, it's all about persuade them of the reasonable as enough, reasonable enoughness of... That was a good word. I just made it up. You can have it. It's free. Then you'll convince them. And I was terrible at it because I just wasn't very... I wasn't very accurate prophetically. I wasn't very powerful enough with miracles. And I wasn't very clever like my sister. And I was rubbish. But when God taught me this, it changed my life. Because it's not about you. It's about a simple bit of news that you think is old hat because you've heard it 86 million times since you were four, two, minus, minus nine months, whatever it is. You've been hearing the gospel till you're blue in the face, until it's robbed of all of its power, and you're sitting there in the 88th carol service you've ever been hearing the same words over and over again and huh but you don't realize that that message is the power of god for salvation that there is something supernatural about the simple message of jesus that when you harness faith to that when you partner with the holy spirit in that that when you talk god talks You say, Lazarus, come forth, and the Spirit goes to work to affect the reality of life. And the light goes on. And faith happens. You don't have to be good at convincing anyone. You just have to be good at talking. Everyone can do that, I hope. No, you don't have to be good at talking. You can be rubbish at talking. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the message. Let me, I just read it. I just read it. Here it is. Here it is. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The message. You're talking, but the word, rhema, the spirit, is released through your word to affect faith. The light goes on, blindness falls, the heart of stone comes out, the heart of flesh goes in. 
It's real. I've heard it so many times. But until you just told me. Never made any sense before. I know it's true. This is what we need. We need a, a movement. We need a soul winning movement. A harvesting movement. Where it's not just, you know, Billy Graham and three other evangelists. It's everyone realizes that you carry the spirit of resurrection in you. And the gospels, your Lazarus, come forth. And you might be fumbling, stumbling, struggling to find the words. But when you talk, something happens supernaturally. So the question then is, and I've run out of time. But the question is then, what is the gospel? If the gospels are Lazarus come forth and it affects that saving faith, then what is it? And you already know it. Jesus. There's a, there it is in a word. But I want to give you the gospel in a nutshell. Can I do that? Now, if you were here at Transform, I hope you remember this. Okay. Oh, there's a test for you. Who can remember the gospel in a nutshell? Go on then. Yes. I love it. Okay, let's, let's work on that. So, see, it works. Or at least you remember it. Have you tried it out? Okay. All right. Come on, let's, let's learn this together. Number one, God formed us. Right? Everyone say, God formed us. That's number one. Sin deformed us. Right? Number three, Christ transforms us. Number four is, repent and believe. Now, I'm giving you, I'm not giving you the whole, you know, that's not the whole Bible right there. That is a memory aid. So you're out there and you're talking to your, your, your friend and you say, has, has anyone ever explained to you how you could become a Christian if you wanted to be? You can ask that. No, no one ever has. Can I take one minute and just explain what it's all about? Yeah. And then you're on to your, number one, God formed us. What does that mean? There is a God, he's real. And he loves you. And he created you. And he formed you. And he made you for a relationship with him. That was number one. God formed us, right? Number two, Christ. Now hang on, sorry, wrong one. Wrong one, I missed, I missed the problem. What's the problem? Sin deformed us. But the problem is, we've done stuff. We hurt him. We hurt ourselves. We ruined the planet. Just look at it. Just look at the news. There's a massive problem. It's called sin. It's when we do stuff that despite our conscience, that God-given conscience, we do it anyway. It's wrong. We hurt ourselves. We hurt other people. But worst of all, we hurt him. It's living in his world as though he doesn't exist. And it deforms us. It warps us. It hurts us. And it ultimately kills us. But number three, remember it? 
Christ transforms us. I have some really great news. It's not the end of the story. God sent his son Jesus to us. Jesus is God come to us. Showed us what he's like. And died for us on the cross. Your sins, my sins. Taken and punished and dealt with. And he died. But because he was God, he rose. And that victory saves us. I'll repent believe it's our response it's not enough that 2000 years ago he died every single person is responsible before God with what they're going to do with that repent what does that mean repent means turn it says I don't want this life of independence and sin and being cut off from God. I don't want that anymore. I want Him. It's turn. Believe. It's placing your faith in. It's entrusting yourself. I had to get here this morning. Paul was kind enough to drive. And I had to believe in Paul. I had to entrust myself Was it stupid? Probably. I had to entrust myself to Paul. I had to let go of the steering wheel, get in the car and let Paul drive. And I entrusted my life to him, trusting that he knows where this place is. And he's not going to hit a lamppost on the way and kill us both. I'm entrusting my life. When you give your heart to Jesus, you get in the car. He's in the driving seat. You don't get to drive anymore. You're not very good at driving. You keep running over pedestrians. Stop it. He drives. You trust him that he knows where we're going. And he's going to get us safe to our destination. Repent and believe. That's it, really. Sorry I ran out of time. If you want more, you have to come tonight. I'll stop there. I'll stop there. I just want to pray for you. And then, and then maybe if anyone individually wants prayer, we can have, have the prayer team. But we can, I'd like us to pray. I'd like to just pray for you over everyone. Can you stand where you are and just... Put your hands out in front, and I'd like to pray for you. Holy Spirit, come now. Father, I pray over each person in this room for faith in the gospel to be released now, that when they speak, You speak. And when you speak, worlds are made. Life happens. And Father, I pray right now, impartation of evangelistic grace 
over every person in this place. And Father, as you've done it before from Oxford, I pray for a soul-winning movement, an outpouring of new birth and salvation and life from this place. And I ask you, in all of their missional activities, may there be harvest. May there be household salvations. May there be all kinds of people born again and brought into the kingdom. And Father, I pray for it. That you bless this church with a wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do it, Lord. Amen. 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 Okay. That's it.